I'm Kristen Marchand, and this is the Apiango Line, a fortnightly podcast dedicated to the unique heritage and wonderful culture of the Upper Madawaska Valley. Today, we have a rather unusual show, actually a show within a show. As many of you know, this coming week, the Madawaska Valley Public Library celebrates its 60th anniversary, given its founding here in Barry's Bay in August 1961. So we thought, what better way to show our appreciation for that quiet yet essential cultural work that our local librarians have given us over the past 60 years than to help its current library staff launch a spanking new podcast. It's not only intended to honor the essential efforts of the library staff who helped build its collections and services over the past 60 years, but equally, it's a new podcast show that is offered up as a sincere thank you to the tens of thousands of library users and patrons who have come through its doors since August 1961. We'll let the library staff tell you all about what goes into their new show in detail in a moment or two, but for the next few months, you'll find their new show here, happily nested within the Apiango line. So let's now turn it over to the Madawaska Valley Public Library. Hello, I'm Karen Filikowski, the CEO and librarian at the Madawaska Valley Public Library here in Barry's Bay, and the host for this new podcast, Old New Borrowed Blue. I know that title may remind some of you of the old rhyme that dates back to 19th century England, describing what a bride should have on her wedding day. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and sixpence in her shoe. Be that as it may, here at the library in Barry's Bay, it can mean much, much more. Not that we're opposed to wedding day traditions, but to us, something old means our ties to the past. Something new? Well, that's about all the new things the library has for your benefit. And something borrowed? Why, that's easy. All those new books, DVDs, and online offerings, of course. Finally, there's something blue, and that always brings to mind a famous collection of children's fairy tale books written by Andrew Lang. The first one simply called The Blue Fairy Book. Those of us who work on your behalf here at the Madawaska Valley Public Library think about things old, new, borrowed, and blue every single day. And so each month we hope to bring you a show with those four essential elements. Something old, new, borrowed, and blue. And by the end of our first show, we hope you'll embrace the idea. And no matter if you're a bride-to-be or just somebody interested in our local history, new things, a book worth borrowing, or listening to a story from the Blue Fairy Book, we hope you will find something useful and entertaining in the next half hour or so. So let's begin. First, something old. That's easy. Libraries such as ours here in Barry's Bay have many things besides the 24,000 books that most people think of when they think of a library. We also have some pretty slick technologies. Everything from computers and streaming options to a curious machine few people seem to know much about anymore. Something called a microfilm reader. But once we show you how to use it, you will find, just like a fancy new computer, it can lead you into all sorts of curious things to read at your leisure. One of our favorite bits of microfilm we enjoy reading from are the old weekly newspapers that were published here in Barry's Bay, oh, back when Moses was in diapers or during the middle of the 20th century, whichever seems more ancient to those of you born in the 21st century. For instance, back in the 1950s, there was something called the Barry's Bay Review, published and edited by Art Rietza. And boy, did Art ever cover all the goings-on in and around Barry's Bay, Combermere, Wilno, and the great beyond the beyond. 
Even the old advertisements sound exciting. Take this one, for instance, that ran 60 years ago this week in August 1961. Coming to Barry's Bay, Saturday, August 12th, the Carson and Barnes, America's third largest wild animal circus and wild animal menagerie. A complete program of the top circus acts and trained animals. The favorite entertainment for kids of all ages. Under canvas, one day only. Now combined for the world's finest show, seldom equaled, never excelled. Herds of performing elephants, featuring Joski, the world's biggest female performing elephant. A $1,000 reward to anyone who can prove otherwise. A free treat to the public. You are invited to the showgrounds on the morning of Circus Day to see the magic city spring to life. The mighty elephant raising the big top and the unloading of the many animals. Special added feature in person, Colonel Tim McCoy, famed TV and Western star for two generations. The West lives again, a real wild West performance. Indians riding sharpshooting, thrill a minute, two-day performances, 2 and 8 p.m. Largest circus coming this year, a show the whole family will enjoy. Trained horses, ponies, dogs, bears, monkeys, seals, lions, elephants, trampoline, tightwire jugglers, and clown. See the only male hippo exhibited with any circus alive. 200 people, animals, acts, 30 performing horses and ponies, 10 Burmese and Siamese elephants, cage after cage of jungle animals. General admission, adults $1.50, children 75 cents. Reserve grandstand chairs for 75 cents extra. That was Barry's Bay 60 years ago this very week. Imagine the whole town that Saturday morning watching elephants raise the big top. Another event Art Rietzer reported on in the Barry's Bay Review hits closer to home. It wasn't exactly a circus, but for us it was even more exciting. Here's what he wrote in the Barry's Bay Review edition published 60 years ago this very week on August 17, 1961. Public Library officially opens, reads the big blaring headline on the front page of the August 17, 1961 edition of Barry's Bay Review. The story is accompanied by a big black and white photograph of John Germain, chairman of the Barry's Bay Public Library, accepting the key to the new library from Barry's Bay Reeve, Paul J. Yakabuski, on Friday, August 11th. Then there's another black and white picture of the new librarian, Ethel Matthews, seen giving instructions to some children, who were the first people to register at the new library. Underneath the two black and white pictures, the Barry's Bay Review story reads, The official opening of the Barry's Bay Public Library took place last Friday evening at 7 p.m., with Reeve Paul Yakabuski handing over the key for the library door to the chairman of the library board, Mr. John Germain. The library is situated in the front room of the Barry's Bay Municipal Building. For many months now, the members of the library board have been busy preparing several hundred books for the shelves of the library, and still have a large number to prepare. Of the books in the library, there are 200 which come from the Provincial Lending Library in Toronto and are exchanged for a different 200 every three months. More books will soon be ordered and brought by the board with the grant they receive from the municipality. According to the new librarian, Ethel Matthews, the library board was gratified with the results of opening night. Although not too many were on hand for the official opening, there was considerable interest shown throughout the evening. A large number of people were registered, and it felt more and more will avail themselves of the services as time progresses, given the small registration fee of only 10 cents per person. A library card received at the time of registration entitles the holder to take any book from the library for a period of two weeks. If this book is not returned within the prescribed time, a small fine of two cents a day will be imposed for every day the book is overdue, an incentive so others can be given an opportunity to take it out and read it. 
The library will be open every Friday night between the hours of 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. for the remainder of August. After this month, it is proposed that the night be changed from Friday to another night of the week. An announcement regarding this will be made at a later date. Members of the library board are John Germain, Chairman, Mrs. Matthews, Librarian, Mrs. Jack Golka, Jr., Mrs. Frank T. Sabalski, Mrs. Pat Flynn, Mrs. Bronas Glofcheski, Mrs. Nixie Conway, and Mrs. August Schulist. Talk about something old. Yet isn't it a caution to know that there's been a library in Barry's Bay that started here 60 years ago this very week? That's not to say, of course, it was always smooth sailing. Indeed, the first library was only open two hours each week, and it operated out of a tiny room not much larger than four meters square in the basement of the Township Municipal Building at 33 Bay Street. But for its rather tiny size, that first library took off like a rocket. Art Rietza wrote another story in the Barry's Bay Review about that new library in his May 24, 1962 edition. Essentially, he reported that 1,350 books had been borrowed from the new library in its first six months of operation. Curiously, only 119 books had been borrowed by adults. All the rest were signed out by children. In many ways, it was thanks to all those young readers that the library continued to grow and develop over the past 60 years. Sadly, that May 24, 1962 story went on to say that Ethel Matthews had to give up her job as librarian. But Mary Normal took over, and a few years later was replaced by Helen Kern, who would go on over the years to build the library collection and work with children who continued to dominate the use of the library in those early days. So that was something old. Now for something new. This month, we're very happy to introduce our readers to some spanking new books recently put on our shelves and now available to be read by any card-carrying library user. Here to fill you in on those titles is library assistant Julia Beggs. Topping the list of adult fiction, we have The Institute by the ever-popular Stephen King. It's sure to be a shocking horror novel. In the thriller category, we have the latest Lars Kempler book from the Juna Lena series. The Rabbit Hunter is the sixth novel in this series. Interesting fact, Lars Kepler is the pseudonym for writing partners Alexander and Alexandra Anthurdal. From author Matt Bell, we have Appleseed. Part speculative epic, part tech thriller, and part reinvented fairy tale, Appleseed is an unforgettable mediation on climate change, corporate, civic, and familial responsibility, manifest destiny, and the myths and legends that sustain us all. We have to mention the new historical novel about a librarian. The Personal Librarian by Marie Benedict tells the story of an extraordinary woman famous for her intellect, style, and wit, and shares the lengths she must go to to preserve her carefully crafted white identity in the racist world she lives in. This novel is based on the real-life story of Belle da Costa Green, J.P. Morgan's personal librarian. Amongst the new nonfiction books, we have Speak Okinawa by Elizabeth Mika Brina, Letters to the Young Athlete, by Chris Bosch, The Plague Year, by Lawrence Wright, This One Life, A Mother-Daughter Wilderness Memoir, by Angie Abdu. For food travel and Anthony Burden fans, we have his new book, The World Travel. From publisher notes, In World Travel, a lifetime of experience is collected into an entertaining, practical, fun, and frank travel guide that introduces readers to some of his favorite places, in his own words. Featuring essential advice on getting there, what to eat, where to stay, and in some cases, what to avoid. World travel provides crucial context that will help readers appreciate why Bourdon found these destinations so enchanting and memorable. For the curious, we have It's Elemental, The Hidden Chemistry in Everything, 
by Kate Biberdorf. In its elemental, Biberdorf demystifies the fundamental principles of science that may have eluded you in high school and shows how chemistry comes alive in everything that we do. We also have lots of new children's books. Too many to mention. For Dave Pilkey fans, newly arrived are Dogman, The Adventures of Captain Underpants, and Captain Underpants and the Attack of the Talking Toilets. Dramano Stilton fans will be happy to hear that we have The Quest for Paradise, The Dragon Prophecy, The Volcano of Fire, and The Kingdom of Fantasy. This is just a sampling of the new books that have arrived over the summer at the library. Check out our online catalog and our website for other new releases. No doubt those 10 new books will be flying off the shelves in no time at all. But as much as we like to introduce you to new books, we're always mindful of that famous quote by Sir Winston Churchill. Whenever somebody offers me a new book to read, I generally reach for a good old book I can borrow. So, time now for something borrowed. As with our list of top 10 books, we thought you might find it interesting to hear about those books we have here at the Madawaska Valley Public Library that keep flying off the shelves week after week, month after month, even year after year. That dirty, dog-eared dozen that our library patrons keep borrowing with no slowdown in sight. Those classics that even Sir Winston Churchill might prefer if he ever popped up the Opiongo line and dropped into our library for a visit. For this episode, here's that list of books that have rarely been on the shelves from January to July of this year, making the top 10 of our waiting list that people should sign up for if they want to borrow them for the next three weeks. Hi, Julia Beggs here to tell you about our top 10 most recently borrowed books. No surprise that topping our list of most borrowed is All the Devils Are Here by Louise Penny. This is the 16th novel in the very popular Inspector Gamache series. The mystery series features Chief Inspector Armand Gamache of the Surette du Quebec. He is an intelligent man of moral integrity, loves to eat, and has the loyalty of his colleagues. Penny's novel settings have a timeless feel, and the tone of Penny's Inspector Gamache novels is that of hope and resilience despite adversity. In All the Devils Are Here, a visiting professor spreads lies so that fact and fiction are so confused it's impossible to tell them apart, which then leads to murder. Chief Inspector Gamache must investigate this case, as well as the extraordinary popular delusion and the madness of crowds. In second spot for the most borrowed title is The Return by Nicholas Sparks. From the Library Journal Review by Barbara Hoffert, left with a grievous injuries from a mortar blast outside his hospital in Afghanistan, orthopedic surgeon Trevor Benson returns to heal at his grandfather's cabin in New Bern, North Carolina. There he falls for the cautious Natalie Masterson and tries to help Miss Teenager Callie, who might be able to clarify the strange circumstances around his grandfather's death. Outbox by Sandra Brown ranks third on the most borrowed list. For those of you interested in thrillers, spectres, romance, this is the book for you. With James Patterson's Women's Murder Club series, we have 21st Birthday coming in at the fourth most borrowed book this season. This series features Detective Lindsay Boxer, Assistant District Attorney Jill Benhart, newspaper reporter Cindy Thomas, and medical examiner Claire Washburn, who pool their knowledge and expertise to solve shocking murders. The Women's Murder Club is one of 30 series authored by Patterson. We may soon need to have an entire wing dedicated to his books. Another author who tops the charts of Most Borrowed and occupies a fair amount of our shelf space is John Grisham. Kamino Woods is a sequel to Kamino Islands, which was published in 2017. A Kirkus review from April 15, 2020 gives us the following. A tempest is bearing down, and murder most foul is afoot in Grisham's latest whodunit. Call it a meta-mystery. Grisham? prolific producer of courtroom fillers, moves the action to a Florida resort island populated by mystery writers. In the wake of a ravaging hurricane, one of them turns up dead. A nice, affable fellow named Nelson Kerr 
a formal trial lawyer who rattled out a client, a defense contractor who's illegally selling high-tech military stuff to the Iranians and North Koreans. Grisham's tale unfolds at a leisurely pace, never breaking into a sweat. And if the bad guys seem a touch too familiar, the rest of the cast make it varied and believable lot. And some might even be fun to ride out a storm with, at least if they're unarmed. A pleasure for Grisham fans and an undemanding addition to the beach bag. The Consequences of Fear is the 16th novel by Jacqueline Winspear in her Maisie Dobbs series. For those not familiar with Winspear's Maisie Dobbs series, they are novels that take place during World War II. The starring character, Maisie Dobbs, is a forensically trained psychologist who vets prospective agents for the special operations executive to assess young recruits' psychological fitness for dangerous overseas assignments. Fans of Winspear will not be disappointed with her latest release. If you are a fan of The Other Americans by Leila Lalami and The Mountains Echo by Khalid Hassani, then American Dirt by Janine Cummins is the book for you. American Dirt is a literary thriller chronicling the migration of a mother and her young son from Apokalu to the American border. Under threat, Lydia and her 8-year-old son must leave their middle-class life in Apokalu and begin their treacherous journey to the United States border, all while invading cartels, thieves, corrupt police, and other forced into corrupt behavior by extreme violence and poverty. This book gives voice to the thousands fleeing their homelands and seeking asylum in the United States. Most borrowed book in 8th place on our list is another gripping adventure, but this time about a dog named Bella. A Dog's Courage is the sequel to A Dog's Way Home by W. Bruce Cameron. Bella is living happily with Lucas and Olivia when a weekend camping trip turns into a harrowing struggle for survival when the Rocky Mountains are engulfed by the biggest wildfire in American history. The raging inferno separates Bella from her people and she is lost once more. A Dog's Courage is a fast-paced adventure that is more than a devoted dog's struggle to survive. From author Ian Hamilton at the Ava Lee series is a standalone title, Bonnie Jack, number 9 on our most borrowed list. A library journal review by Adrian Morales gives us the following. Shrewd, obsessive business tycoon, bloody Jack Anderson is entering his sunset years. He has many fears, losing control, missing out, facing the vast oceans of peace and repose that await for him in retirement, and the threat of endless remuneration. Abandoned by his mother in the Glasgow movie theater, he was adopted by an American family who provided him with the capital to become successful. Jack and his wife Anne leave the comfortable Boston suburbs for the ancient Everons of Scotland in search of answers and of Jack's biological sister. He discovers biological siblings and extended family, some of whom are poorer than he, and challenge his limited-based worldview. Family trauma and healthy and unhealthy relationships weave together in this novel. It's a combination of rags-to-riches tale, rebirth story, reversal and fortune of confronting a monster story. Mystery fans will enjoy the twists and turns of this engaging tale about what money can and finally, number 10 on our most borrowed list is a novel from another prolific writer, Jeffrey Archer. Hidden in Plain Sight is the second novel in Archer's William Warwick series. The first book in the series was Nothing Ventured, published in 2019. Set in London, Warwick is a newly appointed detective with the Metropolitan Police Force's newly created drug squad. The Warwick series is equal parts crime, drama, and family saga. And there you have it. If any of these titles catch your interest, grab your library card, head to the library, and come check them out. And now for the best part of our show. Each episode, we hope to finish with a bang by reading a story for your listening pleasure and taken from Andrew Lang's Blue Fairy Book. This week, we present The Bronze Ring, a story with considerable intrigue, even for a classic fairy tale. Here is Frances Mawson reading from The Bronze Ring. Once upon a time in a certain country, there lived a king 
whose palace was surrounded by a spacious garden. But though the gardeners were many and the soil was good, this garden yielded neither flowers nor fruits, not even grass or shady trees. The king was in despair about it, when a wise old man said to him, Your gardeners do not understand their business, but what can you expect of men whose fathers were cobblers and carpenters? How should they have learnt to cultivate your garden? You're quite right cried the king. Therefore, said the old man, you should send for a gardener whose father and grandfather had been gardeners before him, and very soon your garden will be full of green grass and gay flowers, and you will enjoy its delicious fruit. So the king sent messengers to every town, village, and hamlet in his dominions to look for a gardener whose forefathers had been gardeners also. And after 40 days, one was found. Come with us and be gardener to the king, they said to him. How can I go to the king, said the gardener, a poor wretch like me? That is of no consequence, they answered. Here are new clothes for you and your family. But, but I owe money to several people. We will pay your debts, they said. So the gardener allowed himself to be persuaded and went away with the messengers taking his wife and son with him. And the king, delighted to have found a real gardener, entrusted him with the care of his garden. The man found no difficulty in making the royal garden produce flowers and fruit, and at the end of a year, the park was not like the same place, and the king showered gifts upon his new servant. The gardener, as you have heard already, had a son, who was a very handsome young man with most agreeable manners, and every day he carried the best fruit of the garden to the king and all the prettiest flowers to his daughter. Now this princess was wonderfully pretty and was just 16 years old and the king was beginning to think it was time that she should be married. My dear child, he said he, you're of an age to take a husband. Therefore, I am thinking of marrying you to the son of my prime minister. Father, replied the princess, I will marry the son of the minister. Why not? said the king. Because I love the gardener's son, answered the princess. On hearing this, the king was at first very angry, and then he wept and sighed and declared that such a husband was not worthy of his daughter. But the young princess was not to be turned from her resolution to marry the gardener's son. Then the king consulted his ministers. This is what you must do, they said. To get rid of the gardener, you must send both suitors to a very distant country, and the one who returns first shall marry your daughter. The king followed his advice, and the minister's son was presented with a splendid horse and a purse full of gold pieces, while the gardener's son had only an old lame horse and a purse full of copper money and everyone thought that he would never come back from his journey. The day before they started, the princess met her lover and said to him, Be brave, and remember always that I love you. Take this purse full of jewels and make the best use you can of them for love of me, and come back quickly and demand my hand. The two suitors left the town together, but the minister's son went off at a gallop on his good horse, and very soon was lost to sight behind the most distant hills. 
He travelled on for some days and presently reached a fountain beside which an old woman, all in rags, sat upon a stone. Good day to you, young traveller, said she. But the minister's son made no reply. Have pity upon me, traveller, she said again. I am dying of hunger, as you see, and three days have I been here and no one has given me anything. Let me alone, old witch, cried the young man. I can do nothing for you. That same evening, the gardener's son rode up to the fountain upon his lame grey horse. Good day to you, young traveller, said the beggar woman. Good day, young good woman. Good day to you, young traveller, said the beggar woman. Good day to you, good woman, answered he. Young traveller, have pity upon me. Take my purse, good woman, said he. And mount behind me, for your legs can't be very strong. The old woman didn't wait to be asked twice, but mounted behind him, and in this style they reached the chief city of a powerful kingdom. The minister's son was lodged in a grand inn. The gardener's son and the old woman dismounted at the inn for beggars. The next day the gardener's son heard a great noise in the street, and the king's heralds passed, blowing all kinds of instruments and crying, The king! Our master is old and infirm. He will give a great reward to whoever will cure him and give him back the strength of his youth. Then the old beggar woman said to her benefactor, This is what you must do to obtain the reward which the king promises. Go out of the town by the south gate and there you will find three little young branches of different colours. The first will be white, the second black, the third red. You must cut them down and then burn them separately and gather up the ashes. Pour the ashes of each branch into a bag of its own colour and then go before the door of the palace and cry, A celebrated physician has come from Janina in Albania. He alone can cure the king and give him back the strength of his youth. The king's physicians will say, This is an imposter and not a learned man. And they will make all sorts of difficulties, but you will overcome them all at last and will present yourself before the sick king. You must then demand as much wood as three mules can carry and a great cauldron and must shut yourself up in a room with the sultan. And when the cauldron boils, you must throw him into it and there leave him until his flesh is completely separated from his bones. Then arrange the bones in their proper places and throw over them the ashes out of the three bags. The king will come back to life and will be just as he was when he was 20 years old. For your reward, you must demand the bronze ring which has the power to grant you everything you desire. Go, my son, and do not forget any of my instructions. The young man followed the old beggar woman's directions. On going out of town, he found the white, red and black branches and cut them down and burnt them, gathering the ashes in three bags. Then he ran to the palace and cried, A celebrated physician has just come from Janina in Albania. He alone can cure the king and give him back the strength of his youth.
The king's physicians at first laughed at the unknown wayfarer, but the sultan ordered that the stranger should be admitted. They brought the cauldron and the loads of wood, and very soon the king was boiling away. Towards midday, the gardener's son arranged the bones in their places, and he had hardly scattered the ashes over them before the old king revived to find himself once more young and hearty. Ha! How can I reward you, my benefactor, he cried. Will you take half my treasures? No, said the gardener's son. My daughter's hand? No. Take half my kingdom? No. Give me only the bronze ring, which can instantly grant me anything I wish for. <laughs> Alas, said the king, I set great store by that marvellous ring. Nevertheless, you shall have it. And he gave it to him. The gardener's son went back to say goodbye to the old beggar woman. Then he said to the bronze ring, Prepare a splendid ship in which I may continue my voyage. Let the hull be of fine gold, the masts of silver, the sails of brocade. Let the crew consist of twelve young men of noble appearance, dressed like kings. Saint Nicholas will be at the helm. As to the cargo, let it be diamonds, rubies, emeralds and carbuncles. And immediately the ship appeared upon the sea, which resembled in every particular the description given by the gardener's son. And, stepping on board, he continued his voyage. Presently he arrived at a great town and established himself in a wonderful palace. After several days he met his rival, the minister's son, who had spent all his money and was reduced to the disagreeable employment of a carrier of dust and rubbish. The gardener's son said to him, What is your name? What is your family? And from what country do you come? <sighs> I'm the son of the prime minister of a great nation, and yet see what a degrading occupation I am reduced to. Listen to me. Though I don't know anything more about you, I am willing to help you. I will give you a ship to take you back to your own country upon one condition. Well, whatever it may be, I accept it willingly. Follow me to my palace. The minister's son followed the rich stranger, whom he had not recognised. When they reached the palace, the gardener's son made a sign to his slaves, who completely undressed the newcomer. Make this ring red hot, commanded the master, and mark the man with it upon his back. The slaves obeyed him. Now, young man, said the rich stranger, I am going to give you a vessel which will take you back to your own country. And going out, he took the bronze ring and said, Bronze ring, obey thy master. Prepare me a ship of which the half-rotten timbers shall be painted black. Let the sails be in rags and the sailors infirm and sickly. One shall have lost a leg, another an arm, the third shall be a hunchback, another lame, or club-footed, or blind, and most of them shall be ugly and covered with scars. Go, and let my orders be executed. The minister's son embarked on this old vessel, and, thanks to favourable winds, at length reached his own country. In spite of the pitiable condition in which he returned, they received him joyfully. I am the first to come back, said he to the king. Now fulfil your promise and give me the princess in marriage. So they at once began to prepare for the wedding festivities. 
As to the poor princess, she was sorrowful and angry enough about it. The next morning at daybreak, a wonderful ship with every sail set came to anchor before the town. The king happened at that moment to be at the palace window. What strange ship is this, he cried, that has a golden hull, silver masts and silken sails. And who are the young men like princes who man it? And do I not see St. Nicholas at the helm? Go at once and invite the captain of the ship to come to the palace. His servants obeyed him and very soon in came an enchantingly handsome young prince dressed in rich silk, ornamented with pearls and diamonds. Young man, said the king, you are welcome, whoever you may be. Do me the favour to be my guest as long as you remain in my capital. Many thanks, sire, replied the captain. I accept your offer. My daughter's about to be married, said the king. Will you give her away? I shall be charmed, sire. Soon after came the princess and her betrothed. Why, how is this? cried the young captain. Would you marry this charming princess to such a man as that? But he is my Prime Minister's son. What does that matter? I can't give your daughter away. The man she is betrothed to is one of my servants. Your servant? Without doubt. I met him in a distant town, reduced to carrying away dust and rubbish from the houses. I had pity on him and engaged him as one of my servants. It is impossible, cried the king. Do you wish me to prove what I say? This young man returned in a vessel which I fitted out for him, an unseaworthy ship with a black battered hull, and the sailors were infirm and crippled. It is quite true, said the king. It is false, cried the minister's son. I do not know this man. Sire, said the young captain, order your daughter's betrothed to be stripped and see if the mark of my ring is not branded upon his back. The king was about to give this order when the minister's son to save himself from such an indignity, admitted that the story was true. And now, sire, said the young captain, do you not recognise me? I recognise you, said the princess. You are the gardener's son, whom I have always loved, and it is you I wish to marry. Young man, you shall be my son-in-law, cried the king. The marriage festivities are already begun, so you may marry my daughter this very day. And so... That very day, the gardener's son married the beautiful princess. Several months passed. The young couple were as happy as the day was long, and the king was more and more pleased with himself for having secured such a son-in-law. But presently, the captain of the golden ship found it necessary to take a long voyage, and after embracing his wife tenderly, he embarked. Now in the outskirts of the capital, there lived an old man who had spent his life in studying black arts, alchemy, astrology, magic and enchantment. This man found out that the gardener's son had only succeeded in marrying the princess by the help of the genie who obeyed the bronze ring. Ha! I will have that ring, said he to himself. So he went down to the seashore and caught some little red fishes. Really, they were quite wonderfully pretty. Then he came back and, passing before the princess's window, he began to cry out, Who wants some pretty little red fishes? 
The princess heard him and sent out one of her slaves, who said to the old peddler, What will you take for the fish? A bronze ring. A bronze ring, old simpleton, and where shall I find one? Under the cushion, in the princess's room. The slave went back to her mistress. The old madman will take neither gold nor silver, said she. What does he want then? A bronze ring that is hidden under a cushion. Find the ring and give it to him, said the princess. And at last the slave found the bronze ring, which the captain of the golden ship had accidentally left behind and carried it to the man who made off with it instantly. Hardly had he reached his own house when taking the ring, he said, Bronze ring, obey thy master. I desire that the golden ship shall turn to black wood and the crew to hideous men, that St. Nicholas shall leave the helm and that the only cargo shall be black cats. And the genie of the bronze ring obeyed him. Finding himself upon the sea in this miserable condition, the young captain understood that someone must have stolen the bronze ring from him and he lamented his misfortune loudly, but that did him no good. Alas, he cried to himself, whoever has taken my ring has probably taken my dear wife also. What good will it do me to go back to my own country? And he sailed about from island to island and from shore to shore, believing that wherever he went, everybody was laughing at him. And very soon his poverty was so great that he and his crew and the poor black cats had nothing to eat but herbs and roots. After wandering about a long time, he reached an island inhabited by mice. The captain landed upon the shore and began to explore the country. There were mice everywhere and nothing but mice. Some of the black cats had followed him and not having been fed for several days, they were fearfully hungry and made terrible havoc among the mice. Then the queen of the mice held a council. These cats will eat every one of us, she said. If the captain of the ship does not shut the ferocious animals up, let us send a deputation to him of the bravest amongst us. Several mice offered themselves for this mission and set out to find the young captain. Captain, they said, go away quickly from our island or we shall perish every mouse of us. Willingly, replied the young captain, upon one condition, that is that you shall first bring me back a bronze ring which some clever magician has stolen from me. If you do not do this, I will land all my cats upon your island and you shall be exterminated. The mice withdrew in great dismay. What is to be done, said the queen? How can we find this bronze ring? She held a new council, calling in mice from every quarter of the globe. But nobody knew where the bronze ring was. Suddenly, three mice arrived from a very distant country. One was blind, the second lame, and the third had her ears cropped. Ho, 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 said the newcomers. We come from a far distant country. Do you know where the bronze ring is which the genie obey? Ho, 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 we know. An old sorcerer has taken possession of it, and now he keeps it in his pocket by day and in his mouth by night. Go and take it from him and come back as soon as possible. So the three mice made themselves a boat and set sail for the magician's country. When they reached the capital, they landed and ran to the palace, leaving only the blind mouse on the shore to take care of the boat. Then they waited till it was night. 
the wicked old man lay down in bed and put the bronze ring in his mouth and very soon he was asleep. Now what shall we do? said the two little animals to each other. The mouse with the cropped ears found a lamp full of oil and a bottle full of pepper. So she dipped her tail first in the oil and then in the pepper and held it to the sorcerer's nose. sneezed the old man. But he did not wake. But the sneezing made the bronze ring jump out of his mouth. Quick as thought, the lame mouse snatched up the precious talisman and carried it off to the boat. Imagine the despair of the magician when he awoke and the bronze ring was nowhere to be found. By that time, our three mice had set sail with their prize. A favouring breeze was carrying them towards the island where the queen of the mice was awaiting them. Naturally, they began to talk about the bronze ring. Which of us deserves the most credit? They cried all at once. I do, said the blind mouse, for without my watchfulness, our boat would have drifted away to the open ocean. No, indeed, cried the mouse with the cropped ears. The credit is mine. Did I not cause the ring to jump out of the man's mouth? No, it is mine, cried the lame one, for I ran off with the ring. And from high words, they soon came to blows. And alas, when the quarrel was fiercest, the bronze ring fell into the sea. <gasps> How we face our queen, said the three mice, when by our folly we have lost the talisman and condemned our people to be utterly exterminated. We cannot go back to our country. Let us land on this desert island and there end our miserable lives. No sooner said than done. The boat reached the island and the mice landed. The blind mouse was speedily deserted by her two sisters who ran off to hunt flies. But as she wandered sadly along the shore, she found a dead fish and was eating it when she felt something very hard. At her cries, the other two mice ran up. <gasps> it is the bronze ring! It is the talisman! They cried joyfully and getting into their boat again, they soon reached the mouse island. It was time they did, for the captain was just going to land his cargo of cats when a deputation of mice brought him the precious bronze ring. Bronze ring, commanded the young man. Obey thy master. Let my ship appear as it was before. Immediately, the genie of the ring set to work and the old black vessel became once more the wonderful golden ship with sails of brocade. The handsome sailors ran to the silver masts and the silken ropes, and very soon they set sail for the capital. Ah, how merrily the sailors sang as they flew over the glassy sea. At last, the port was reached. The captain landed and ran to the palace where he found the wicked old man asleep. The princess clasped her husband in a long embrace. The magician tried to escape, but he was seized and bound with strong cords. The next day, the sorcerer was banished from the kingdom and the princess and her husband never heard of him again. And there you have it. Something old, something new, something borrowed and something blue. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we look forward to seeing you here next month when we will return with something completely different and yet something old, new, borrowed and blue. Until then, do drop in and see us at the Madawaska Valley Public Library at 19474 Opiongo Line in Barry's Bay. Today's show was read by library assistants James DeFiore and Julia Beggs, 
and our library board chair, Frances Mawson. I'm Karen Filipkowski, the CEO and librarian, and from all of us here at the Madawaska Valley Public Library, we'd like to wish you many great page turners, if not gripping good reads. That was Old, New, Borrowed, Blue, a new podcast produced by the Madawaska Valley Public Library here in Barry's Bay. Over the next few months, you will find that podcast show here exclusively. That is, until it's able to leave the nest for its own independent podcast platform. We wish it Godspeed. I'm Kristen Marchand, and for the producer of the Opiongo line, Barry Conway, we'd also like to wish you a good day, and God bless. Thank <laughs> you.